uh, I just want to talk to you this morning. Uh, we've been following a series uh, on Philippians. And um, I just said to God, what do you want me to um, bring to St. Austell? And he said, bring Philippians 3. There's joy in profit and loss. There is joy in profit and loss. How is your balance sheet? Is the question. So first of all, um, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This morning isn't about condemning anybody. Um, I want you to be challenged. And I think that's the spirit that, that, that God has brought here this morning. It's a spirit that actually says, yeah, let's bow down and let's let God deal with some of that stuff. So um, just to talk to you and give you a quick bit of background, Paul, uh, on his second missionary journey, is, is traveling and he comes to a, a town called Philippi. There is no synagogue. And um, so he goes down to the river and he meets a lady called Lydia, who is a dyer of purple cloth. Now, the purple dye was hugely expensive, so Lydia was quite a mover and a shaker. She was a a rich commercial lady. And um, Paul sits and talks to her like he would have done. And he led her to the Lord uh, into a faith with Jesus Christ right there and then. She brought her family and the church in Philippi is planted. And then a number of years on, and I say a number of years because the theologians, as always, don't necessarily agree. A number of years on, he writes this letter, this challenge to, um, in a sense, the church at Philippi. So it's a letter to Philippians. And um, we're talking about joy. Paul mentions 19 times in this letter the word joy or rejoicing or gladness. He's trying to get a message or a theme to them to get them to understand there is joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. I would say it again, rejoice. And so he's just trying to bring this message to them. And uh, we, as always, it's broken down into chapters, but I'm just going to say in the first part, uh, Paul talks about our purpose. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he talks about our pattern. He talks about the pattern or the theme to our life, which should be. But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. And if, if you look at the word joy, joy is Jesus, others, you, in that order. Jesus first, then others, and then you. So for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain is joy. That's Jesus. Uh, to make ourselves in the very nature of a servant, that's joy because we're serving Jesus and others. And that's your call. Uh, That's your your word, uh, to see God's love transform lives as we follow him. So Jesus and others. And then in the third part, our prize is Jesus. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. That's others. And that's you. And then finally, in the final part, he talks about the power in our life. And he says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And that's you. We can do it because Christ strengthens us. So your homework right at the very beginning is to go away and have a look at Philippians and decide which verse could be the key verse for your life and for this stage and this this phase of your life, for, for the rest of your life in a sense, if necessary. Um, so that's your homework. So are we, we're not up, okay? So um, I'm going to talk to you from Philippians chapter 3, starting to read at verse 1, and we'll go through to 12, but I've broken it up into three or four separate parts. So we'll read part of it, have a look at that, read the next bit, and move on from there. 
And Paul actually starts in some versions by saying finally. At the beginning of chapter 3, he says finally. But in truth, we're 60 verses into his letter and we've still got 44 to go. So we're just over halfway and Paul says finally. So he's kind of warming us up. So when you hear me say finally, you know I'm probably just over halfway, but I'm looking at the clock. Okay. So Paul writes this. He says that there's no confidence in the flesh. Further or finally, my brothers and sisters rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, but it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit. And in the King James Version it says, we who worship God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. So at the beginning when I asked you the question, how's your balance sheet? I'm going to ask you the question, what are you investing in? Or who are you investing in? How should you invest your life? How should I invest my life? What can I afford to lose from my life? Am I dying to know Christ and to know him better? Now, don't get me wrong. uh, Desire, um, uh, sorry, the desire to gain is a God-given desire. But it's when we allow it to take a place in our life that gets in the way of our relationship with our Father God. And that's something that we shouldn't do. Jesus said in Matthew 16, What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? And as we use the word worship, we who worship God by his spirit. Worship in this context, the the definition of the word or the interpretation of the word means more than singing. And can I just say, um, I think probably the privilege of being somebody that speaks out the front is that you get to sit at the front most of the time and you are in great voice. It's just, I would encourage you all at some stage to just come and sit at the front and hear the people sing. It is just awesome. But it's more than singing. It's about servanthood. That's the word that Paul is bringing to us. It's about servanthood and service under someone, under the Holy Spirit. We worship God by his Holy Spirit. And so in a sense, Paul is obsessed. He comes back to them and says, look, you know, I'm going to tell you again and again and again. Rejoice in the Lord. I'm not afraid to write it to you. I'm not afraid to say it more than once. Rejoice in the Lord to feel or show great joy. Now, do I do that only when I'm feeling on top of the world? Or do I do that when I'm in that really deep place? Because my relationship, my salvation is secure in Christ. That joy in the Lord will never change. The circumstances around me will, but Paul is trying to encourage them that that deep inside thing never changes. That's where our joy comes from, in the Lord. And so he's addressing, he's he's explained in the first part of his letter about uh, who Jesus is and what it means for him to be our Lord and our Savior and our salvation. And then he wants to address an issue that he's been made aware of within the church, that some people are being kind of misled or or, um, misleading the people in relation to this particular aspect around circumcision. And he pulls no punches in relation to them. Uh, Jewish men um, in this time and around Paul's time uh, would have woken up in the morning and their prayer would have been, Father God, or they would have said, God, thank you that you didn't make me a woman. Thank you that you didn't make me a dog. And thank you that you didn't make me a Gentile. 
And Paul is coming, turning it around full scale because of where he's come from. And he's actually giving them three things back and saying to them, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. And um, they're actually encouraging people, that, or men, that they needed to be circumcised. If you want to be in our club, you've got to have this outward sign or outward show of the fact that you're in our club. Whereas Paul is saying, it's nothing to do with the outside. It's what's going on in the inside. And so... Um, Man looks at the outward appearance, and God looks at the heart. So your first key point is, take care not to be misled, or take care not to be deceived. Because sometimes people will tell us things. It's very easy in this world, isn't it? I find myself in the police service um, sometimes saying, yeah, I'm comfortable with that. Because everybody else around me was comfortable with that. And it's actually saying, no, I'm, I'm not. That's not right. And I'm, I'm, take care not to be misled. Can we have the next slide, please? Or not? No? Okay. Um, this is what Paul says. He moves on then. He says, if, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. He said, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. So, I thought, how does that apply to me today? Where, where, can, where, where does that take me? What is Paul saying? So, for Father's Day this year, I bought my dad this. Uh, the fact that he died and passed away in 2005 is neither here nor there, because I know he would have wanted me to have it. And that's what... <laughs> and that's how I got away with it with Astrid, my wife, okay? So he would have really wanted me to have this. So what Paul is saying is that I am of the land, Great Britain, of the tribe, England. So let me look at the next bit, hang on. Yeah, of the tribe, England. Um, Devonshire boy of the Selly family, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Okay, so that's me. So I'm going to wear this when the Rugby World Cup is on. And um, as for zeal, sorry, in regard to the law of Pharisee, um, as regard to the law, I was a police officer for 30 years. As for zeal, persecuting the church for me, as for zeal, I persecuted the motorist when I was a traffic cop. Um, <laughs> as, as, I'm, I'm sorry, I've... I've prayed for forgiveness. <laughs> I've felt it. Um, and uh, as, as a detective uh, dealing with, with child sex offenders, dealing with domestic abusers, that was the, the basis of my detective background and, and then to kind of work on, on some murder investigations and successfully convict people. So, yeah, I was zealous. You know, the job at times without a shadow of a doubt was my God and got in the way of my relationship with my father God. So you need to understand about Paul. Paul is actually saying, when I was Saul, I was a Premier League Jew. There was nobody better than me. I got it really nailed on. Really nailed on. And it's interesting because before he'd written this letter, 30 years before, as Saul, he's on the road to Damascus, and he, gets, he sees Jesus face to face and is struck down blind. Now here's the key point for you. Um, as he lies on a bed in Damascus for three days, not eating and drinking, um, there's this ordinary guy called Ananias who happens to live in, in Damascus who is spoken to in a vision by God. 
And God is quite specific. He's very accurate on his Google map because he says, Ananias, I want you to go to Straight Street to the house of Judas. So no doubt, I'm not sure where I'm going, God. No, you're going to Straight Street, the house of Judas, where there's a man called Saul who lies on a bed. And Ananias knows about Saul and he knows that if he goes to see Saul, he's going to at least be arrested and thrown into jail because of his faith. And, he's, and God is asking him to go to this man and pray for him in the name of Jesus. Totally alien. And so, in a sense, you can see that fear and also the reputation of Saul could be barriers to Ananias fulfilling God's will in that circumstance. So here's the second key point for you. It is that as you move towards November and you look to work towards fulfilling the prophecy of 153 people, 153 big fish, and the events, what are you going to allow to get in the way, or what are you not going to allow to get in the way? What are you going to overcome to be an Ananias in St. Austell? What am I going to overcome to be an Ananias in Hale? Because I know it's not easy. And so Saul lost it all. He lost everything. His religion, his position in society, he lost everything. And then this is what he says. What slide are we on? Are you able to go to the next one? No? Okay. This is what he says. But whatever were gains to me... In that time, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Now, I underlined uh, the word garbage uh, because it's the only time um, in, in the Greek, in the original language, that Paul used this word, that this word features in the whole Bible. And um, we've very, been very politically correcting, allowing it in um, one version to be called rubbish. In the version I read, the NIV UK, it says garbage. Uh, but what Paul is actually talking about is a steaming great pile of poo, animal excrement. And he just says, I consider everything, all that I've lost, just a steaming great pile of poo. It's nothing to what I hold now in Christ Jesus. So what stuff might be in your way? Can I just challenge you and ask you the question, why have you come this morning? Have you come because it's nice people? I've got to tell you, it's a great cup of tea. Um, Why have you come this morning? Are you here because you're amongst lovely people? Are you here because you hope to get something from God? Will he answer your prayer? The prosperity gospel actually says, well, I'll take Jesus if, it make, if he makes me rich. And that's not what it's about. It's a, it should be, I will follow Jesus even if I lose everything. I will follow him. He, our Father, can have it all. 
for his forgiveness of my sins and welcome me into his kingdom. He can take the rest. He can have my England shirt. He can just take the rest. It's just stuff. So the third key point is this, that Jesus did not give his second best for us. He goes on to say this, Paul, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. And there's a a bit in the film, The Passion of the Christ, where Simon of Cyrene is carrying the cross alongside Jesus. And they look at each other right in the face. And Simon must have seen that it was no second best. It was his absolute best. And therefore, all our stuff has just got to be worthless because of Jesus. Saul lost all he most held dear, but he gained the most as Paul in his relationship with Christ. Now, it might be that you don't lose anything at all, but you gain a deeper relationship with our Father God through Jesus, that you gain that better understanding. What Paul also says in this final bit is, uh, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead isn't a question I don't know where I'm going. He knows exactly where he's going. He's just not sure when and how and the format in which it might happen. He says, I want to know Christ. It's personal. And so um, I would just show you, if you can click to the next one. In Acts chapter 7, at the stoning of Stephen, a great man of God. Paul was there in his previous life called Saul, and this is what happened. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he'd said this, he fell asleep. So Paul was there. He would have seen Stephen. He would have seen the angelic look on his face because he knew what it meant. He looked Jesus in the face. And so Saul saw Jesus in the face on the road to Damascus. So the third key point, Jesus did not give his second best for us. This is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, if you can go to the next slide. Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again and again. The gift which must be asked for. The door at which a man must knock. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. And it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man or a woman their life. And it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it costs God the life of his son. You were bought at a price. And what has cost God so much cannot be cheap for us. 
Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life. But delivered him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. So as we kind of come to the ministry time, I would echo the prayer team will be over on one side. Pete will introduce uh, communion in a moment. Just want to leave you kind of with these questions. Do you want Jesus bad enough? Do you want him bad enough or are you comfortable? Are you consumed with Christ or are you comfortable? Do you avoid by not sharing? Something that that cropped up in the the prayer meeting that, that came to me that people will think the church is doing it. It's okay, the church is doing it. But we are the church. We're the ecclesia. We're the gathering. It's us. It's down to us. Do you have stuff in between you and Jesus? And I think it's clear from the word of God this morning through, through, through Kathy that, that there is somebody, at least one, with stuff in the way that God wants to clear away. But we've got to let him. We, we kind of have to open our hands and let it go. So be honest with God now. Tell him you, you might want some of it, but you might not want all of it. You might not want it to cost you everything, but it can cost you something. A crown of gold did not come without a crown of thorns. And so, as we kind of enter communion, I would just ask you to pray for it. Be honest in your own, own words to die to yourself. How is your balance sheet this morning? Because the reward is this. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. To see God's love transform lives, including ours, as we follow him. Amen.